Hello and welcome to the Earthly Roots podcast where we chat all things gardening, homesteading and connecting to nature. We're your hosts Diane and Robin. The Earthly Roots podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. And welcome back to the Earthly Roots podcast. If you're watching the YouTube channel, then you will already see that I'm here by myself. Robin isn't here today because we thought it could be a bit of fun towards the end of our podcast series to have a go at having our own solo episodes. And so today, that's exactly what I'm going to be doing. I'm planning on talking to you guys about my homesteading journey. We, Sam and I have been doing this for a year and a half to two years, we're entering our second summer now. And I'm pretty excited to kind of compare the first year to the second year and talk to you guys about some of the lessons that we've learned, the things that have gone really well, and some of the things that maybe we didn't realize might happen or the things that, you know, did happen and we were kind of taken aback by them. I think for a first-time homesteader, it can be quite daunting to approach something for the first time. And so the more information that you have and the more real experience that you get to hear from other people, the more confident you feel when those things do happen. So I'm really excited to talk about all things gardens and animals and just life out here in the countryside. I do have a phone to try to keep me on track with what I'm saying. Um, And I did also just want to say I'm super excited to see that our podcast is being taken so, so well. So thank you so much, guys, for tuning in each week that we put out a new episode. Uh, We've almost reached a thousand views on our podcast, which is a huge milestone. Um, And I know Robin and I are both so excited to see that and just the value that it's giving to all of you. Now, (laughs) I'm a complete one-woman show here. I'm in charge of the camera, the audio, and everything in between, controlling everything around me, including the weather, which hopefully the sun holds up and the dogs do too. Uh, But we might have to do a few pauses here and there as things happen. Uh, But I think that's pretty typical of our podcast, so you guys are probably used to it. (laughs) So I wanted to start, I guess, with where our property is right now at this day and age. So as I mentioned before, we have been here for almost two years. This is a rented property. So we don't own the land that we're on. We're just renting from our landlord who is a really nice guy and he's really encouraging and has given us full permission to use the home and the homestead and the land as we need it. Um, as long as of course we don't damage it or cause like irreversible damage or, you know, whatever. But he's been really awesome and supportive of us getting pigs, of us getting chickens, sheep, putting gardens into place. Um, and every time he's visited, we've had him around for a barbecue where he can kind of see the progress we're making. So we live on 24 acres. Most of it is bushland. And then we have, I would say, I'm not very good with measurements, but I think we have about two acres worth of cleared land that we um, have some pasture on. 
which we run our animals on, and then we also have our gardens. As far as the animals we have on our homestead, we have egg layer chickens. We now have about 20. Um, 10 of them are young pullets, which were born not long ago with one of our chickens. And then the other 10 are egg layers that are mature and are already producing eggs for us. So these guys are kind of like our pets. They work with us in the gardens and I'll touch more on that later on. Um, but I did also talk about it in one of our last podcast episodes where I literally talked Robin's ear off all about chickens. So that's a good one to check out if you want more information about backyard chickens. But I will touch on them a little bit today. We also raise our own meat chickens. This only happens once or twice a year and only lasts about eight weeks. We have our sheep as well. We did have a flock of sheep with ewes as well as our weather and our ram, but we did actually, um, we lost the sheep. The, the women went back to their old flock, which is just down the hill at the dairy, um, and we're still deciding if it's something we want to pursue again and get them back. And again, this is something else that I'm going to be touching on uh, because there's definitely some animals on the homestead that are really easy to look after, like chickens that don't cause a lot of issues except when they get into the garden. <laughs> and then there's other animals like sheep, which are notorious for escaping and getting out. And part of living on a homestead is dealing with those problems whether you control them ahead of time and get ahead of them or whether you're kind of um, interrupted in your process and trying to solve those problems as they happen. Sometimes you have to do a bit of a balance of both because you can't always predict what animals are going to do. And in some way, that's part of the fun, but it's also part of the challenge of homesteading. So we have chickens, we have sheep. In the past, we had pigs and we absolutely loved having pigs. We had them for about six months um, and we raised them for our freezers as well as meat. And currently we have bees. I love having bees and I'm, I'm really hoping to touch on them later on as well. Um, and that's all for our animals. I know Sam's talked about... Oh, I almost forgot the newcomers. We actually have geese as well. The geese are really new um, and we're still building up our systems for them, but they've been lots of fun and really cruisy so far. Uh, and Sam wants to get goats in the future, perhaps. They're really good for controlling things like shrubs and weeds around the property, uh, but they can also be little escape artists like sheep. So not sure if we're committing to them just yet. I'm a bit scared of their eyes as well, so I don't know if I want to get goats, but we'll see. Anything is possible. We have thought about perhaps getting a cow in the future, but cows do come with a lot of destructive habits. I mean, they're not quite adapted to the climate that we have here in Australia. Their hooves can be quite damaging and their weight and there's a few things that maybe don't make cows the most ideal animal to have here on a homestead in Australia. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the benefit of having a cow is that you can have heaps of meat if you're raising them for meat, but also milk, which is great for making butter and cheese and having in coffees. So it's definitely something that I think in the future when we have our own homestead where it's a permanent thing, we might consider finding a way to make that more sustainable and less harmful on the environment. But at least for now, cows aren't on our radar anytime soon. So we live on 24 acres here. We have our animals 
free ranging or in systems where we rotationally graze them through the property. The reason we do this one, because we don't have the money on or the infrastructure to build permanent places that are going to be um, self-sufficient and sustainable here on a rented property. But also we really like the benefit of seeing the grass improve as the animals move around on it. They're not harming the land in that way because they're not spending too long in one place where their um, weight can kind of crush down the soil or they're overgrazing a part of the property or the grass. So that's why we choose to do that. And that way, the benefit of their manure is spreading out throughout the property rather than in one place. I must say that having a solo episode is pretty daunting. Not being able to kind of stop and take a break while you listen to someone else is definitely a change. (laughs) But I think I'm doing okay so far. So that's kind of a gist of what our property is like. We live in a two-bedroom little house. Um, And then we're building out a bus, we're converting it into a house so that eventually we can kind of take as much of our homestead as we can out onto the road, explore some different farms, permaculture systems and other homesteads around the country before we pick one place to settle down onto. So we did originally plan to come up here and be able to buy land straight away and be able to build our own permanent homestead straight away. But with the current market and everything else that is kind of happening around um, having to get jobs for six months before applying for anything kind of set us back in that goal. And in a way, I'm kind of glad it did because it did give us a chance to feel the lifestyle, see what we like, what works, what doesn't work, and be able to then make decisions into the future for the permanent place based on what we have learned right now in the rental. So yeah, that's our that's our property as it currently stands. Sam and I though did not come from farming backgrounds. Um, Sam's nana's side of the family they were dairy farmers, but Sam never grew up doing that with them um, or experiencing life on the farm. Although he his parents did have that experience, uh, but both our families really did move around quite a bit and mainly spent most of their time in small towns or in cities, which is where I was uh, spending most of my time. We lived in the suburbs of Melbourne, and I also lived in Israel for the first seven years of my life, which is kind of like a city, I guess. But yeah, I don't know. It doesn't have like skyscrapers and things like that. That's more Tel Aviv, while I lived in like the suburbs of Israel. So Though the houses were really close together, there wasn't the infrastructure of a city as such. So yeah, so that's our humble beginnings. We didn't come from farming backgrounds where we knew how to milk cows or raise chickens or butcher animals or even grow gardens. Um, Although our families did delve into like growing herbs or growing like little things. My mum did like strawberries in pots um, and she planted trees and flowers but I never quite got into that as a child or as a teenager. I wasn't really interested and I was too busy living my life. So I did miss out on learning a lot of those things. And so seven years ago when Sam and I got together, we slowly started to shift our thinking into how can we be more sustainable? How can we lower our footprint on the earth and lower our impact Uh, so that the future generations, our children, other people's children are able to live their best life without 
a scarcity in resources. And as we started to learn more through documentaries, movies, reading, all those things you do once you come out of high school where you get the freedom to kind of explore topics that you're interested in, we started to realize that the way that our food system works, the way that our world works, um, the impact of consumerism, all of these things have such a big impact on what our life is like. And we didn't want to be part of the problem. We wanted to make sure that we were part of the solution and the way forward. And so we started to think about, you know, realistically, where do we want our life to be five years from now, 10 years from now? What would make us happy in our own life, but also what would reduce our impact on the world and make sure that it's everything we do kind of has a positive impact rather than a negative one. And so, yeah, we, we kind of decided that homesteading was going to be the right path for us because it would get us out connected to nature. We love animals. At the time, we had Kobe and Freya. So we had one dog and one cat. Now we have three dogs, our cat, and all the menagerie of animals around us. But we loved animals and we knew that we wanted to respect the animals that we were eating. We wanted to respect the animals that we were caring for. And so homesteading just seemed like the right approach to take. And back then we found Justin Rhodes and his family. They were just on their uh, bus tour. And so the cool thing about Justin Rhodes um, and their Great American Farm Tour is they went on all around Australia, uh, Australia, they went all around America and they kind of visited lots of different farms. A lot of them were organic or permaculture farms. A lot of them had systems in place where they used what they had um, and they built systems that really worked well together that weren't depleting their farms or their properties of more resources than they needed. And that was really cool to see all those different places and perspectives and be able to learn what might work in our own system in the future. And so back then we were talking to our housemates who were interested in similar things. And I think originally we wanted to all kind of move on to a big property together to lessen the burden of the financial side of those things, uh, but also be able to kind of work as a community and help each other because none of us really came from those backgrounds. We weren't you know, experts in farming or growing gardens or food. None of us had ever really done it for ourselves. And so we knew that it was going to be a big learning curve and a big thing to undertake. Uh, but as the years went on, we kind of figured that different people are always going to be at different stages and also have different opinions on what they wanted to achieve and what success or what life should and could be. And so we noticed that we didn't want to be held back by someone else's beliefs. We didn't want to be held back by someone else's schedule or their own commitment. And we knew that we wanted to commit to this. We knew that this is the life we wanted to lead and go down. And so after doing my teaching career for two years in Melbourne, so starting as a teacher, finishing my course um, and teaching for a couple of years, I felt that I was confident enough in my career that we would be ready to uproot from our state in Victoria and move up to New South Wales. And the reason we chose New South Wales and this area in particular, the Bega Valley, is because we felt that down in Victoria, we loved being by the coast. But of course, living by the coast is very unaffordable. 
We also loved being near the mountains and being able to go for bushwalks or by the rivers or up to the snow mountains. And unfortunately, in Victoria, where it would be affordable for us to live, we wouldn't be able to have the the best of both those worlds. There's just no location where you're close to the coast as well as to the mountains that for us would be affordable um, but also accessible to our family. So another big factor in our decision to come up here is that my family would only travel to us in an aeroplane and we're not keen on the idea of traveling more than three hours by a car to get to us. And so we then had to start looking for a place that not only was by the coast, near the mountains, cool enough to not make us feel awful working outside in the summer heat, but would also be accessible to our family by an aeroplane. And I'm sure there are many places like that in Victoria, but none that seemed right for us. And so one day we were visiting up here in the Bega Valley. We were visiting our friends, which we do every year. And we were like, man, if only there was a place in Victoria like this that had beautiful beaches, all these beautiful mountain views. And Sam and I were like, well, why not here? Like, why haven't we considered just moving to a different state? The airport is an hour away. The beach is an hour away. The mountains are pretty much at your doorstep. Like everything is so close together and I know an hour drive does does sound like a lot but that's what we would have had to face down in Victoria if not more. So it it seemed like a good, um, good distance to have to drive if we wanted to do those things. And so yeah we were sitting on this beach and we were like why not here? And then we realized that There is no reason why not here. Like this is the perfect place and sure it will be hard to uproot from a state. It will be hard to settle and get new work. It will be hard to be away from our friends and family and what we knew as normal. But for our life and what we wanted to achieve, this really was the best place for it. The community around here is really um, focused on permaculture there's a lot of like organic markets and really wholesome people that understand the power of connecting with nature or working out in the garden and producing your own food and so we knew that the community we wanted to be a part of was here we knew that we already had some friends up here that would make the transition that little bit easier and so we started to get the cogs working and move up here Uh, And this was two years ago. And if you're thinking about the years and what two years ago was like, you would know that that was during a very awful time in the world where we had the pandemic and COVID was just rearing its head out. And so those last, that last year in Victoria for me and the last six months for Sam involved us being stuck at home for a very long time. It involved us um, feeling quite anxious about going out to the shops, having to wear masks, having a lot of freedom taken away from us. And it did bring opportunity as far as the YouTube channel goes because we were at home more and we got to experience what home life was like and be able to experiment with producing things on a very small scale back then for ourselves. 
we had chickens in the suburbs as well and we absolutely loved it and taking care of them having those fresh eggs I mean the first time we had fresh eggs I was ruined the store-bought eggs it uh it is just such a world of difference in flavor you don't get that same like eggy taste that you get from the shop it's just so pure and delicious and yeah so with our freedom taken away we decided to just bite the bullet and make the move sam quit his job and he moved up with me still having six months left of my job because i was a full-time teacher so i still had to finish off the year which was fine um, it meant that Sam could go up to New South Wales and get himself settled into work, which we knew would be really important as far as getting a mortgage or loans or a rental or anything like that. And we actually came up here and got this rental at the perfect time because shortly after there was a rental shortage and so many people still are without a home because of how bad it has gotten around here. Whether it's people selling up because others wanted to move out to the country during the pandemic or whether it was just because a lot of people did lose their homes during the bushfires and had to take over their rental properties. Um, but then there's also a lot of like holiday homes and part-time rentals um, and that has a big impact on a community as well because people aren't able to rent out those homes because they're only available as holiday um, like Airbnbs and things like that. So yes, yeah, so we are really, really fortunate and we're grateful that we came up here at the time that we did uh, because we were able to settle ourselves into this rental. And that was another thing that I didn't touch on. We were actually going to come up here um, for a visit to our friends when the bushfires hit. And this area, right now where we are, this didn't get hit by the bushfires, but all the surrounding areas were really heavily impacted and it was devastating to hear from it and about it from firsthand from our friends, but also people we knew in the community, uh, but also to experience it as a nation. It was awful and there are still people recovering from it now. Um, but it's been so incredible to see how this community has stuck together and how they helped each other out. And that's one of another big reason why we knew this was the place we wanted to be in. Um, and yeah, we decided to bite the bullet and come up here. Of course, once Sam decided to come up here and I still had those six months left, we thought it would be quite easy and, you know, we would visit each other every weekend or every week. The pandemic, like the COVID restrictions were easing. And then of course we got another wave of COVID. And as soon as that happened, the borders were set to close. Sam hadn't moved up yet, but they were set to close in a few days. And so there was a notice saying like, if you're going to any state, like you've got to do it now, otherwise you're not going to get a chance to. And so we had to make a pretty like quick decision and Sam had to go and then the borders were shut behind us for six months. So Sam and I actually didn't see each other in person for six months while he settled himself up here. We did a lot of like Zoom calls and phone calls. We recorded videos together but apart so that we could stay connected um, and all of those are still on our channel. Uh, but yeah, that was a really hard time because we did have to kind of grow as our own people separate from each other, but also hope that everything would be okay in the end. We had to alter a lot of our plans as well. 
So as I mentioned before, we had intended to come up here and buy straight away, but that was just not going to happen as soon as everything occurred as it had. So we decided to settle into a rental. Um, I continued working. I moved in with my sister to reduce my costs down there uh, because, I mean, renting two houses is very expensive. (laughs) Sam got himself some work here. And um, after six months, we finally came together and we officially started this homestead. And when we first came out to this homestead, it was pretty raw. There were no gardens. There were a few fruit trees behind me and a place where there used to be a garden. But most of this property was really overgrown with trees that hadn't survived the bushfires with things like tea tree and eucalyptus trees and wattles coming up like regrowth from the drought that they had experienced for the seven years before we moved up. Um, So yeah, it was a pretty like raw kind of landscape to come into. Uh, Yeah. And so that's where we started. And so when I moved up here, that's when the work really began. And it, it, seemed at the time like it was happening slowly but now looking back we did so much in such a short amount of time we built a big garden bed which I got to plant all my summer crops into I did a three sisters garden bed because it seemed like the easiest thing to do and that worked really really well we then started to expand by adding chickens which then helped us to create more gardens because they helped us to till it Um, and animals are a fantastic way to begin new gardens and so we used our chickens and we kind of enclosed them in one small space for a little while I think it only took them a couple of weeks and it meant that they could just dig up the ground eat all the, the bugs in there rip off the grass and it will give us a starting point to then be able to come in and till and prepare a new garden bed in those beginning stages we did have to bring a lot of soil in uh, to establish our gardens because there's a lot of rocks in the soil here and it was still quite dry from the droughts um, and so we brought soil in we brought wood chips in we did try to source as much from our property as we could so there was a lot of like lumber left over from when the landlord built this house uh, there was logs that we had to cut down um, you know like dead trees or if there were trees that were on driveways that we had to cut down, we used those logs to then be able to build our garden beds, which I'm so glad that we did because that was really fun. Uh, But we also used it for things like firewood. So we really did try to take advantage of things that we had here before we went out and bought things. And if you're starting a homestead, that's the best advice that I can give you is use what you have first source what you can for free whether it be from the tip whether it be from someone else's construction site and if they're getting rid of things like claim those things we have a neighbor up the road that built his own house and he has heaps of insulation and tiles and things and materials just left over that would end up in landfill but instead he's been holding on to it hoping that he can give it to someone And we're actually claiming some of that insulation for our bus and hopefully that's going to work really well for that. So yeah, source as much as you can for free. Use what you have. Really think about, you know, if you're wanting to build, let's say, a trellis for your tomatoes or for your beans, how can you plant something that's going to support you in that all? Could you use some twigs or sticks from your bush block or the forest or something around you 
as opposed to going and buying something. So that's why I chose the Three Sisters Garden is because I could grow the corn and then the beans around it like a trellis and I didn't have to bring anything else new in. So yeah, use as many resources as you can and only when you have to, go and buy things. So especially at the beginning stages, you can spend a lot of money establishing yourself and so the more you can source for free, the better off you're going to be because you can then invest that money into just supporting yourself for a while. I didn't mention too that when we lived in the suburbs, one of the first steps we took towards this lifestyle is we started to move away from buying from supermarkets and we started to go into farmers markets, we started going into the actual butcher seems so simple but back then that wasn't even a thought we had until we made that switch and instead of just going to the butcher we started to buy our meat in bulk and be able to learn and use the whole animal and every part of it as opposed to just the most common cuts so if you really think about it if you're only eating chicken breast that's a lot of chickens that you and other people in a similar mindset are going through just for one type of meat And so then what happens to everything else? So that's why we made that shift to just be able to use everything. And we knew that that would be a really big deal once we moved up here and we started raising our own animals because we would have to use the whole thing. We didn't want to have waste. We didn't want to be um, using a resource and not using it to its fullest. So yeah, that's something we did. Um, And so yeah, we moved up here. We got chickens. We started establishing our gardens. And then I think maybe six months in, the opportunity to buy some meat pigs came up. They were $100 each, which was an absolute steal. And so I remember just contacting the lady and then just letting Sam know while he was camping that when he would be back, he needs to prepare to have pigs because I just put an order in. (laughs) And the pigs were so much fun. We had them rotationally grazing through our property. We had them establish our really big gardens that are now going into their second summer. And they have done really well. And they were such great company to have on our property. Um, We really enjoyed having pigs. And I hope we have pigs again in the future. We definitely intend to. We want to give a go at having the Justin Rhodes had a system. And I think so the land did too. So Jason and Lorraine, these guys are both American homesteaders, which have been a huge inspiration along the way. Um, But they had a system where they had kind of like a carport and the pigs were in one place for the duration of their life, but they helped to build up compost. So every time that they would manure on the ground, um, you would cover it up with wood chips to make sure that it was smelling really good and fresh. And then you would continue doing that until the compost was building up underneath um, and the pigs were in a nice clean environment as well. That would be a really good system here in Australia because pigs can be really destructive out in our landscapes. You have places like Queensland and all over the world, all over the country where feral pigs are a devastating problem and they come in and destroy things on people's properties and farms. And so, yeah, we definitely don't want to be causing destruction out in the environment. We want to be making sure that we're working with it. So I think that will be a system that we do in the future. Um, But yeah, for now, we haven't had pigs again yet. I hope that we will again before we move on to our bus or even afterwards. I definitely know we will. Uh, But for now, we have sheep. And sheep are one of the more recent animals that we've introduced. And the reason we introduced sheep onto our property 
is because they are probably the most sustainable meat that you can have on the property. Um, sheep graze on grass and so you're not having to introduce feed for them unless you buy pallets for like treats or we use pallets when we move them to a new paddock we'll usually use that as like a bribe <laughs> to get them into the new paddock and then they munch on the grass for the rest of the time um, so as far as feed goes they're only using what you already have available on the homestead and when you rotationally graze they're going to improve the pasture as you go if you do it correctly uh, so feed-wise, super sustainable. Meat-wise, uh, sheep can have, I think it's one to four lambs a year. So they can go into lamb twice a year and they can have one baby, two babies. Some have even had triplets. I think it's more common for goats to have triplets though. But if you think about it, that's a lot of meat that you can then be raising um, while your sheep are grazing the grass they're mowing it down for you and then slowly over time you can be raising your own meat if you don't want to raise sheep for meat then you can be selling them to other people in the area lots of people are after the raising sheep for their own meat or just having them as companions or friends on their property so one of the more sustainable animals to have but with a sustainable animal that sounds like a great idea come problems as well and so something that we've learned this year with having sheep is that they're not so simple and from the beginning we were told by people that you know sheep are escape artists you need to have really good fencing if you're going to have sheep um, because they will get out even if you have good fencing they're going to get out and of course our sheep got out very very often we had a new system that we had to work out um oh that's a massive bird I'm so sorry. I get so distracted by everything that happens around us. It's part of the beauty of living out on a homestead is there's always new animals to see, birds, bees, bugs. There's just so much beauty out here. <laughs> but what was I saying? I was talking about sheep and the problems that we had. So, of course, they got out as we started to get used to these new systems of moving them around. We chose um, to live on a rental and have sheep. And with that comes a lack of infrastructure. So we didn't have the funds or the want to put new fencing on someone else's property. So we knew that we had to have a very temporary system and that doesn't always work with sheep. And that's exactly what happened. Of course, as the problems were coming up, we would try to fix them and problem solve them. And we've done a pretty good job. We've had sheep for a year now. And the ones that we've had for the longest time have done really well and are really used to us they're really respectful and they don't get out of the fencing even if we don't turn it on for a night um, but as far as the ewes go that we got from the dairy down the road they were wild sheep so they definitely already knew how to break out of things they never stayed in the paddocks at the farm and so I think we kind of underestimated what that would mean here on our property and so of course they've been getting out ever since we've gotten them we did get to experience new life though when one of our mama's sheeps had some lambs and that was really beautiful. So I really do hope that in the future we do find a way to have sheep again, but I'm not putting any pressure on Sam or I to do that because I understand how difficult adjusting to homesteading can be, how difficult it is to problem solve things that are happening each and every day while also managing everything else. And while we love it, we are also dedicating our time to other jobs and other 
ventures because right now our homestead isn't creating an income for us or it isn't creating enough of an income to sustain us. So yeah, that's part of homesteading. If you're moving out to the country for the first time to homestead and you don't have a lot of disposable income, you are going to have a lot more problems, I think, because you're not going to be here full time to manage things and solve problems as they happen or get ahead of them before they happen. So yeah, something to look forward to. And another animal I wanted to talk about is bees. Bees were probably the third animal that we got. We got them before the sheep um, and shortly after getting the pigs. And bees have been a wonderful addition to our homestead. With growing gardens, you need pollinators. And by being able to create a home for the bees, we're actually preventing them from swarming and taking over hollows and homes of native animals out in the bush. Honeybees are not native to Australia and can actually be quite destructive to the native animals in the area. Uh, So by being able to safely contain them, but also be able to benefit from them in the process and still be able to pollinate the vegetables that have been introduced. So things like tomatoes, cucumbers, um, squashes, and all those things we love to eat uh, need pollinators like honeybees. Uh, So yeah, we really loved having bees. We've harvested our own honey, which was absolutely delicious. Apparently, if you have a teaspoon of honey from local bees that have created it, you can it can help you to combat allergies, which is really amazing because you're kind of consuming the pollen that's in the area. Your body can get used to having that pollen in your system. And then when hay fever occurs or hay fever season occurs, you're not as likely to get affected by it, which is amazing. I I haven't had my honey in a while. Um, I should be harvesting it again soon. So I'll let you know if that really works or not. (laughs) But having the bees has been really cool. I've learned so much about them. And it's been a really fun hobby because the bees don't take a lot of time to maintain them or look after them, uh, but are so valuable in what they do for the environment and have just been such a curiosity to, um, you know, explore and find out about. So, As part of, so I've kind of given you an idea of what homesteading has been like for us for these last two years, some of the challenges that have occurred um, and some of our successes as well, the animals that have been here. And the reason we started to homestead, as I mentioned earlier, is because we wanted to lower our footprint on the environment. We wanted to make sure that the actions and things that we're doing right now are not going to have a negative impact into the future. And one of our subscribers from YouTube, his name is Simon, and you can actually find him and his partner on Instagram. They're called Dexterate Farm. Um, And I'll put up the name, I hope, on this video so that you can go and find it or put it down in the show notes or the description. Um, Any information that we talk about or uh, is valuable for you to maybe go and explore will be down in the description box as well. Uh, We also have our Buy Me A Coffee page. So if you're enjoying the podcast and you want to support it financially, uh, you can give us a one-time donation. And that's really lovely and is really, really, um, we're really grateful when you do that. So thank you for those that have contributed in that way. But Simon actually suggested for me to do a footprint calculator. And I'm super excited to give it a go and see what our impact is right now and I feel like it's going to also suggest ways forward to lower our impact again. Now, I know that our choice to raise our own meat um, 
is probably not going to be counted in the system or in the calculator. So when I do it, that is something that I think will be a shortfall of it. Um, but even just the idea of buying fresh food from farmers markets, I wonder if the calculator will take that into account. So I thought it could be fun for uh, the rest of the podcast before I talk a little bit more, if we could kind of talk through the calculator as I do it together. I'm sure um, this will be much more enjoyable for those watching on YouTube because you can kind of see what I'm doing, but I'll make sure to narrate it for you guys that are listening um, on the podcast. So I'm just going on to the footprint calculator. Uh, so it's from WWF Australia and it's called the Ecological Footprint Calculator. Um, and so, yeah, let's take the first steps to doing it. I'll include a link to it down in the show notes as well so that you can have a go and see what your footprint is. I think this is really valuable to kind of do not just once off and that's it, but kind of do every six months, every year and see if you're progressing in the right direction um, or just a great way to reflect on what you are doing and the impact that that's causing. All right, so the first question is all about food. How often do you eat animal-based products and so there's kind of like a a scrolling bar for you to choose your impact so very often is meat daily you can have often which is balanced meat and veggies so meat a few times a week eggs dairy almost daily um, we have often but also just a little bit less occasionally really like veggies occasional meat eggs dairy infrequently as if you're a vegetarian um, and then there's vegan which is never so I'm going to say we are often so meat a few times a week so it's actually quite high so animal-based products this is what I mean that it doesn't account for raising your own meat, which has a very different impact to going and buying that meat in the store. But not even just that, you can also have systems like we have where the animals are rotationally grazed. Um, so then they're not having to have as much feed brought in on the property. They're just taking advantage of what's here and improving it. And I don't think this app accounts for that. So I'm just going to say often and we're just going to go with it. So, yeah is food again how much of the food that you eat is unprocessed unpackaged or locally grown oh there you go so it does have it so most if not all of the meat that we produce i don't think we bought meat other than beef because we do like bolognese with beef mince um and sometimes we'll go and buy pork or lamb but we buy it from a local butcher and as I mentioned before, this community is really good about buying local. So I'm going to say um, how much of it is less than 320 kilometers away. I'm going to say nothing is 100%, is it? So I'm going to say 95% because most of our meat, we raise ourselves on our property um, and we only buy a little bit. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say 100%, but I just don't want to do that because, you know, when we go to restaurants and things like that. So 95%. <laughs> housing. Which housing type best describes your home? So there is a penthouse apartment, a townhouse or building with two to four housing units, 
a flat or unit building, house with running water, or house with no running water. What does running water mean? Does that mean like a creek or a well or a dam or water tanks? So I'm going to say house with running water. See, this will be really interesting once we move on to our bus because the bus is a way for us to reduce our impact as far as um, housing goes. You know, we, we build small and that way we don't have to use more resources to make it or maintain it, heat it, cool it, all the things. So it'll be interesting to do this footprint calculator again in a little while's time, like in a year's time when the bus is built. Um, of course, we will be using fuel to move it around. So there's always, you always have to weigh things up. There's always going to be things that push you into the negative and things that push you into the positive. Housing with running What material is your house constructed with? Straw, bamboo, wood, brick, concrete, adobe, steel, or other? This house, I think, is mainly made from steel as far as the infrastructure goes because after the bushfires, that was something that was necessary. So I'm going to say steel other. Um, there is some type of wood around most of it, but most of it is steel. How many people live in your household? So right now we have three because Sam's brother is staying with us. So I'm going to include him in this. And what is the size of your home? Medium, tiny, small. I have no idea. I'm going to say it's small. Uh, I'm going to say it's medium and 120 meters squared. I don't know off the top of my head, but it's a pretty small house. We only have like one kitchen living room combo. It's like an open plan, one little bathroom, tiny hallway and two bedrooms. It's pretty small. The area around us, like the deck around us, is bigger than the house. So <laughs> I'm going to say medium. Housing. Do you have electricity in your house? Yes. How energy efficient is your home? Modern appliances, climate control, above average, well insulated, efficient lighting and appliances, careful use, efficiency centered design, passive heating, cooling, advanced temperature control and ventilation, low. Um, I don't know. I'm going to say above average. We don't have two. Yeah, uh, it's well insulated. The lights are all those down lights, which aren't supposed to use too much electricity. We do have lots of appliances and things. We don't have solar, which I mean we should. So I'm just going to do average. It could improve. On the bus, we're going to have solar, so it's going to be a lot better. <laughs> what percentage of your home's electricity comes from renewable sources? So let's see. We've got, oh, it's like a percentage. So we have tank water. We have LPG gas, which I guess is not renewable. And we have just normal electricity, so not a lot. I'm going to say... 30% because water makes up oh actually but heating we use wood fire so I'm gonna say maybe 40 it's so hard to justify like what percentage it is but anyways 40 <laughs> compared to your neighbors how much rubbish do you generate this is a pretty cool question so we compost a lot of our food scraps and food waste so that's really easy to say that that's not a waste 
we recycle as much as we can. Um, a lot of the recycling we have is more so like aluminium cans, so things like canned tomatoes, beer bottles, is glass, things like that. We have very little plastic packaging because I try to buy things without packaging where I can. So I'm going to say we probably have, but our neighbors are pretty efficient as well. But I'm going to say compared to your neighbors, we have a bit less than our neighbors because we do the compost system and we have huge compost systems. So I'm going to say less. How far do you travel by car or motorcycle each week? I drive to work, which is 30 kilometers away. That sounds right. And that's four times a week. So what's three times four is 12, so about 120. And then we normally go out somewhere. Um, wait, but that's one way. So times two is 240. I'm going to round it up to 300 because then we normally go out somewhere during the weekend. So I'm going to do 300 and seven, and I don't have a motorcycle, so zero. What is the average fuel economy of the vehicles you use most often? I think ours is, mine is 11 liters per 100 kilometers. Um, and motorcycle, I don't have a motorcycle. It's interesting that it has both. I guess they use energy differently or fuel differently. Transportation. When you travel by car, how often do you carpool? I am actually carpooling right now in a way. My car's um, yet to go into the mechanic. And so it's been out of action for almost a month. So Sam and Levi have been having to drive me around. But I guess that doesn't really count as carpooling, so I'm going to say never. <laughs> How far do you travel on public transport each week? Um, never. We don't have public transport around us. Buses are hardly a thing. There is school buses. Um, yeah, no. No train line around here. Not great, hey? How many hours do you fly each year? I try to travel at least once or twice a year. And I, I know this has a really big impact on the environment, but it's something that is a part of who I am and I love to travel. So when we do travel, we have one really big trip, which is 30 kilometers to my grandma. Six, 30, wait, 20 hours times two is 40. And then we might do a small trip to like, Thailand or Vietnam or something like that which is usually like eight hours each way so that's 16 plus 40 is 56 hours oh that looks so bad okay there we go I guess that doesn't look so bad <laughs> all right next results all right you guys ready your personal earth overshoot day is 9th of March what does that mean so if everybody lived like you, Earth Overshoot Day would be on this day. This means by this date, we would have used as much from nature as Earth can renew in the entire year. In 2020, Earth Overshoot Day for humanity is August 22nd. So is that bad? I think that's bad. If everyone lived like you, we would need 5.4 Earths. That's a lot. So the averages, 
average number of Earths in the USA is five. Germany's 3.2. China's 2.1. So this is telling me that I'm pretty inefficient, guys. And I wonder if it's because of the flight. So this is my result. Ooh. I do wonder. It says see details. So I would love to see, you know, what has had the biggest impact um, so that that can be the place to reduce it. It also gives me a chance to retake the quiz. And I'd love to see if what it would be like if someone lived as unsustainably as they can. I really hope that you guys listening take this calculator and let me know on this video down in the comments um, what your result was how many earths people would need to live your way um, and what's your biggest impact in that result um, it looks like my biggest impact was carbon footprint so it's the fuel and the travel um, and then the other one is cropland so it seems like vegetables and things like that. So that's really interesting. As far as grazing land goes, so for raising animals, because we raise our own meat, it's not so bad. Forest products, I guess that's for building the house. Really interesting. That was lots of fun. I'm uh, glad you guys sat through with me as I did that. Uh, I definitely did not expect it to be as bad as it was, but it seems that fuel has a huge impact on our carbon footprint, which makes me a little bit worried about the bus. I I have been talking to Sam about potentially converting the bus so that it's able to run on uh, waste vegetable oil. I've seen there's a there's actually a man that lives in Western Australia uh, who has converted his truck. His truck's name is Bev, and I think he's got a band called Formidable Vegetables, <laughs> and that's the way that I've been able to find him. But he was able to convert his truck to be able to run on waste vegetable oil. So he would go to like fish and chip shops and restaurants like McDonald's and get their waste oil and put it into his truck. And so I think just after doing that calculator, that's definitely going to be a step that we might highly have to consider because that's going to make a really big impact, especially as we go all the way around Australia. There's going to be so many fish and chip shops. There's like McDonald's at every station, I'm sure. We'll find a way. We'll find a way. So, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. It was definitely different with only me um, and having to talk the whole time and kind of feel like I have no chance to take a pause, but I had lots of fun telling you about our journey, homesteading. I hope that, you know, it helps you to see that there are going to be some days that are really really difficult there's going to be a lot of success and it's just a great way to take charge of your impact on the environment but also to be able to enjoy life a little bit more by living out here on our homestead we are so much more connected to nature and our land we understand how things work there are so many things that I've learned just from experiencing them firsthand like how garlic grows the fact that the seeds come up in almost like a little garlic shaped bulb at the top how certain flowers and plants can be used for so much more than we give them credit for in the stores how animals can benefit other systems on the homestead and make things easier so that instead of having to rip the grass to start a new garden i can have chickens or pigs come in and till that for me so 
yeah, homesteading has been so much fun and I'm sure there's so much more that I didn't get a chance to talk to you guys about today. Uh, but of course, I'm probably running well over time. So I'm going to wrap it up here. I really hope if you enjoy the episode that you leave a comment, a like or a review. Uh, we've had a couple of five-star reviews from you guys and we so appreciate it. Thank you so much. It helps other people to find us and get value from it as well to build this community so we can all support and help each other. Um, and it's just really heartwarming to hear and see that you guys are really enjoying what we're doing and what we're talking about. At the moment, Robin and I are participating in Vlogmas, which means on our YouTube channels, we are recording some extra videos every single day um, up until Christmas time. They're going to have a festive uh, seasonal spirit to them, but they will also be highly based around gardening and homesteading. So I hope you go and check those out. Um, let us know that you come from the podcast. It will absolutely make our day. And um, if you are feeling extra generous and you found a lot of value from this, please consider going to our Buy Me A Coffee page and leaving a little donation. Um, it just helps us to pay for tea, transport, and improving our systems and technology to make the experience even better for you guys. So yeah, um, I'll see you next time. Bye.